when I think of the world of networking, I don't think of it in terms of metrics. I think of it really connecting, learning, and feeling like at some point I know it'll come back to me. Welcome to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast, and I'm your host, Adam Connors. NetworkWise trains and educates individuals and organizations in the science and art of networking to accelerate sales, personal development, and career opportunities. In Conversations with Connors, I talk with a variety of highly successful individuals in order to gain insights on how they built, maintain, and cultivated their relationships in order to live a life by design, not by default. My next guest is an entrepreneur in the tech space with past positions at Yelp, Yahoo, and Apple. He's now focused on streamlining employee management for restaurant owners with a really interesting company called Seven Shifts. Preston Younger simply gets it when it comes to entrepreneurship, management, and of course, networking. His expertise in these arenas have allowed him to grow various companies, grow his professional life, and more importantly, have helped him grow as a person. Preston is someone who always has the big picture in the back of his mind and will grind through the everyday work, knowing that larger goal is getting closer with each and every task. He's also a family man who takes pride in being a good father to his three kids and cares about everyone that's around him. He's constantly working hard to make an impact on anyone who crosses his path. He's generous with his time and also his contacts, always looking to connect and add value to others. During our conversation, he shares his story and how relationships have been instrumental to his success. So with that, let's learn more about his tech and business expertise as I bring you my conversation with my friend, Preston Younger. Enjoy. Preston, I'd love to memorialize that golden nugget of wisdom that you shared before we just went live. Do you remember what you just said to me? Yeah, I think I just talked about how uh, important in my career, my connections and people I've met throughout the way has been. I think all experiences, both professionally and personally, are tied to just getting to know really great people and that you know they have their own aspirations, have their own objectives in life, personal and professional life. And I tend to think about both the professional and personal as like not really kind of separate, but more intertwined and connected. And as a result of that, I think like the relationships are not just your, your Rolodex of business connections and not just your personal friendship connections. I think the two are very much correlated to each other. So I, I just, I tend to think about that in my life a lot and have learned that probably in the past chunky years. I love to hear that. And why do you think if you have an opinion on this, why most people like separate the two, they separate that personal and professional? I have a few thoughts on that. I think the old way of the world is you kind of had to keep your personal life at home and you kind of had to keep your professional life separate. When you came into the office back in the day, you kind of had to check everything else at the door. You had to put on your game face for work and you had to not present yourself as having anything else that you focused your time on or cared about outside of your job. Luckily, the world has changed. We now are allowed to be ourselves more and more everywhere, especially like in the the space that I'm in, which is more of the tech, kind of innovative space of tech startups, tech companies, open floor plans are more conducive to the whole person, right? Yeah. And so what that means is like your friendships can be good additives to your professional career in terms, you know, in terms of a soundboard, in terms of advice, in terms of coaching, and your professional connections, connections sometimes end up becoming like really close personal 
relationships and connections. And I think it's okay if you keep that in a good balance versus the old days of where you kind of had to keep them siloed. Yeah. That's a great way to articulate exactly what's going on. So before we delve further and to give the audience a better understanding of where this perspective comes from, do you mind sharing in a nutshell your background, what you're doing today, what got you here today, and just some of the experiences that you've had that have also led to this clarity and thinking about how important the relationships are and where they sit? Yeah, I think, um, you know, going back, I guess, to earlier years, my parents both Grew up in the just north of Westchester, uh, kind of outside of New York City, and dad, son of an immigrant from Sweden, who came over to the U.S. to kind of create his own life and got involved in restaurants and bars. Worked at the Waldorf as a, bar- a bartender. My mom, one of nine, they lived in Newburgh, New York, and where they met and got married and, and moved. Wanted to get away from the city. They moved up to Vermont, and I'm so thankful now in my later years that I grew up in Vermont. I didn't appreciate it when I was younger, but I think in terms of the way I think about life, the balance, maybe I apply to try to apply to all facets of my life, which is whether it's work-related, personal, family, my wife and kids, or just in general, the fact that I was able to grow up in Vermont. My parents moved up there, had myself, my three siblings, and growing up in Vermont, and both of them being working class. They didn't make a whole lot. They worked really hard, and I think I've realized that and appreciated that in my later years, more formative years, and have my own kids especially. And so... I tend to think a lot about that in everything I do, which has been a big part of why I've had some of the experiences I've had in my professional career working for companies like Yahoo and Apple and IAC, which is the parent company to CitySearch, Ticketmaster, Evite, and then being an early hire for Yelp in 2008, helping open up the first New York office outside of the San Francisco headquarters. And then I left Yelp after about eight years of running the brand partnership sales team there and started doing some consulting with just some great connections that I had in the sort of startup space, founders and some investors and started doing some consulting around sales and growth. And then more recently, one of my consulting clients started a full-time engagement with as the first US hire back in October. And it's a software company. It's Seven Shifts, Canadian company, and focused on helping uh, restaurants solve the labor management, scheduling and compliance problem. It's a big one out there. So that's in a nutshell, that's my story. And Hopefully, I've got a lot more ahead to, to accomplish as well. <laughs> yeah, well, all right. So I, I got a, a bunch of things to unpack there. First, I'd love to get an understanding of what made you decide to go with seven shifts, knowing that you had access to all these other kinds of opportunities. Yeah. You have your own consulting firm. I mean, yeah. what is it? I mean, they must be a, a pretty special organization to pull you away from having your hands in all of these other great organizations. Yeah, for sure. I had the privilege of working with CEO, the, the head of growth uh, for Seven Shifts for a number of months as a consulting client of mine uh, for my consulting company. And during that time, I didn't necessarily know at the time that I would be even considering joining them full time. But as I got to know the people, the product, saw how much traction and success they had had. It was about a company of just about 120, 130 employees or so between their Toronto office and their Saskatoon, Saskatchewan headquarters. I think I felt more and more compelled to do more and sort of figure out what that next involvement looked like. And and fortunately, I was able to work with Jordan, the CEO, to kind of figure out a plan for full time. And I think one of the things that my partner and I, who kind of started our consulting company, which is called Mile Square Labs, an ode to the Mile Square City of Hoboken, where we're sitting right now, was that when we created the consulting company, we wanted to afford ourselves the opportunity that if we spotted something or felt 
compelled to jump into something a little more entrenched or full-time at any point that we would kind of build that into our model. And so, and then my conversations with Jordan, the CEO of Seven Shifts kind of went from being a consultant to maybe there's something more here. Seven Shifts has a significant amount of current customers, most of which are in the U.S., and even furthermore, most of which are in the New York City tri-state area, the creation of this first kind of U.S. hire head of U.S. operations role became more and more of a reality. And um, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of success we've had. But the people that I'm working with are probably the most important part of it that I really kind of fell for initially. Obviously, it's a great product. The founder story is really compelling. The investors that we have are really, really strong, have a lot of operational experience in their portfolio and, and actually lend a hand, which is not the case for all investors. Not all you know, VC money is created equally. <laughs> so the fact that we have strong investors that believe in us, that believe in our plan and trust us as a leadership team is really great. So it's been good so far. And actually just wrapped up uh, here at the beginning of 2020, hiring the, the launch team to accompany me and kind of build out our in-market boots on the ground effort and open up shop, official office, first US office in Hoboken, New Jersey. Congratulations. Thanks. <laughs> so what does it take to be successful in the role that you're currently sitting in right now? The biggest thing is taking stock and inventory of the the success or ingredients of success that Seven Shifts has already sort of had to date and the people that are responsible for that before, well before I joined and trying to just be able to help add an additional layer of support and expansion efforts and growth, tapping into what I know, tapping into what I've experienced, asking questions around why things are done a certain way, thinking of different ways to make improvements adjustments from a leadership perspective, or even just at any level, trying to chip in and help. That's my approach. In general, that's the way I uh, have found fulfillment in my engagements in general and all of my professional career, including my time at Yelp, but even after Yelp and consulting. I think that's the main reason why I got into consulting, started a consulting company, was really to help. Mm. And so I think of my role at Seven Shifts as I'm trying to help the cause, which is we're trying to grow you know, a massive global company that's focused on solving this really important problem, restaurants, are faced with being left in the dark ages and make occasions in terms of technology and what technology can do to improve the lives and operations of many different sectors out there. Restaurants are still trying to figure it out. And so Seven Shifts is actually a really important part of that solution because how you as a restaurant operator or restaurateur handle or manage your people or schedule your people or treat your people is the nucleus of what's the most important of like how you run your business. And some restaurateurs get that more than others. But at the end of the day, I think technology can help ease the pain for those that are at least willing to embrace technology. So mm-hmm. I'm just trying to help us further that cause, that effort with our first ever sort of in-person efforts against that here in the New York you know, tri-state area. And how important have people skills that you've developed been to obviously past successes, but how much do you foresee them being important to building the team that you've got now and just, I guess, selling the services? Extremely important. It's no surprise that Seven Shifts is a people software, right? In terms of helping restaurants schedule, manage their staff, um, handle compliance, handle people that want to take time off, allowing them to, allowing them to trade shifts with each other, allowing some of these basic liberties that I think everyone wants in order to feel fulfillment, feel like they're contributing to something, whether it's an, as an hourly paid employee at a restaurant or to the people that I'm hiring at Seven Shifts in market. They want to feel like they're part of this journey um, and that they can add their their stamp to that effort, that journey. So I think a big part of it is in, in the folks that I've hired, which includes actually one of our top salespeople that we moved down from the Toronto office. Mm-hmm. 
is just helping them feel like they matter, they can contribute, helping them feel inspired, especially because there's always days where it's like you're asking yourself, why are you doing this? Why are you not working at a big established company, Uber or Google and Amazon? And so helping people see the long view is really important in kind of how I see this role, not just in the folks that are here in the U.S. um, expansion team, but across the entire company. The long view. I love that term. And that's something that I try to always impress on, impress upon, I should say, with people when it comes to relationships and just in general, again, always see the bigger picture. How has that played into your thinking when it comes to building relationships, whether it's with employees, whether it's with colleagues, whether it's from a sales perspective? Yeah, I think that the long view is something that I don't know when I realized the importance of that. Obviously, what matters in business and in life is like taking care of the things that are at hand that you got to get done and you've got to accomplish or get through. But I think understanding the inevitability of that, the short term tied to what are you doing it for in the long term is really important. And it's an important thing for people that are in the respective job or career to understand some of the stuff that you're kind of getting through on the day to day. While it might seem tedious or you might question why, if you have some sort of long view that you believe in, it makes it a lot more easily overcome and palpable to handle that stuff. And so I think we did a really good job back at Yelp, focusing on what we needed to get done day to day. And then the fact that we were paying this picture of the, the long term, the long view of what we wanted to be um, known for, we wanted to become a household name in terms of discovery and kind of finding local restaurants, local businesses. And, and I think the people that we brought on board believed in that mission. Hmm. And the mission, the long view is really your mission. And so if you believe in that wholeheartedly, and you come in and you do your best and and you do what you need to do, and you get through the stuff that kind of sucks on the day to day, you know that there's a higher purpose. I think that's really important in in everything that I do. And it's, I don't look at, that's why I advise people. I I talk to friends and I coach even founders, executives in my spare time. I work with a number of accelerators and a lot of times I'm helping people see um, the big picture. It's not just, hey, I'm doing this one thing now. There has to be something that you're, that hinges to. Mm. There has to be something that you're working towards. It's a longer-term vision. And that's harder for some people than it is for others to see. A lot of folks don't quite get that. They want immediacy. The world we live in uh, doesn't help either. We have devices in our hands that promote immediacy. And so I think it's a balancing act and, it, and it's a discipline that probably more and more people need to just feel comfortable with and or be taught yeah. how to have that long view and hinge that to the stuff you're working on short term. What do you foresee as some of the biggest challenges, or not foresee, I guess, what, what have you observed is probably a better way to, uh, to question that in terms of some of the biggest challenges that entrepreneurs, or it doesn't even necessarily have to be entrepreneurs, but just people in business generally come up against? Yeah, I think there's a few things, but most top of mind, I'd say there are a lot of distractions. There's distractions in everywhere we look. Our devices are distractions. There's so many startups. The barrier to entry to create a company and start your own company and get funding from some people who are willing to open their wallets and give you money, it's very plentiful. There's more more founders, more startups now than ever. And so what that means is how can you how can you focus on your one thing when there's so many other things out there? that you could be working on or you could go jump ship to go work on. And so I've seen a lot of cases where a founder, first time founder is, you know, creates this thing, gets some traction, 
after a few years, they say, you know what, like I'm going to go jump and work for a big company because it's just not worth it, right? Those opportunities are out there. So you have to have that. I think going back to what we talked about around this long view is like, what is your kind of life's aspirations or goals? What are you trying to accomplish? One of the things I've thought a lot about probably in the past, like five years or so is like legacy. What do you want to be known for? And so I think the problem we're seeing with entrepreneurs and people in the business world is like, they don't really think a whole lot about that. It's a lot about like capitalizing on the now. How can I get mine? Whether it's like Insta fame, whether it's make as much money as you can, and quite frankly, not really care about what purpose is behind that money you're making because there's so much out there and it's a, there's a lot of distractions. And so if you don't have your head on straight, it's probably very easy to get caught up in those distractions. So I think a lot about, I mean, I've thought, it ties in with, you know, business life, but also, you know, having kids and a family is how can you think about your higher purpose? Like, what's your point of existing? What do you want your legacy to be? It doesn't have to be only tied to your career. You can be like, what do you want your kids to think of you as when you are done in kind of that part of your life and you're kind of settling down, you're calming down and kind of your last leg of life? What do people think of you as? God, that's a great answer. So it's uh, really interesting. They did a study on people that are Oh, no, I'm forgetting what it's called. Not hospice. It's a, it's a, like around that time of yeah. hospice of the most important things that people relish. What's most important when you're on your right. deathbed? What yeah. are the things? And number, I forget the order, but the top three, one of, I think it might've been number one was legacy. You know, number two is relationships. Yeah. And I forgot what the third one was, but uh, yeah, to your point, great point. <laughs> yeah, for, for sure. I, I think it's um easier said than done because- you we're all human. And so you have things that you're trying to deal with in the moment. You sometimes lose at certain points, might lose sight of your bigger picture or your aspirations or what you're trying to achieve, or this notion of legacy. You can't think of it all the time because you can't act in the moment to try to handle a situation that you're dealing with based on like, well, like what would my legacy say in terms of how I should handle this (laughs) moment with my kids that won't listen to me or for, for example, right. Or, you know, and so I think it's like, it's good aspirational thing to have. It's good to think about. And I think if you have that as like whatever you decide and it can change, right? You're, you can change as you grow and learn what you perceive your legacy to be. But a lot of it just boils down to like, what do you care about? What do you care about? And what do you have the passion for? And what's most important to you? For me, I think experiences and people that you have the fortune of like learning from and helping or sharing with family, friends, people that you work with, all those people. That's, to me, that's what matters most. And so having an impact there is kind of how I think personally around legacy or lasting impact. I've got a couple friends that are VCs. I actually need to introduce you to one of them because you you think a lot alike. But what they've shared with me is a lot of times with a lot of these new or like you said, first time CEOs, some of the issues that they're running into is that they've got this awesome technical ability, but they are they actually are very focused and they actually are very disciplined that they do have that, but they lack everything else outside of that. And sometimes their ego also interferes with bringing alongside other people with other perspectives. Is that something that you've come across? Absolutely. Yeah. So part of what you just described is actually like one of the main reasons why my business partner and I founded Miles Square Labs initially it was to help combat the fact that majority of all early stage companies, tech companies are founded by folks that have a technical background. Um, they might have a business degree. They typically don't have a lot of like 
sales and revenue experience, right? True business chops, as I call it, tied to like dollars and cents, like driving revenue and doing what a business is intended to do. And so what you find is you find a lot of like, you know, sort of technology-based decisions around approach to building and scaling and raising capital for those businesses. And so the experience sometimes is commoditized or undervalued in terms of like how to build and scale sales and revenue for a company. If you're in a startup and you have a technology background or you're an engineer at trade, which a lot of them are, you tend to follow the advice of those folks, um, whether or you have your ego. So you have your ego that might say, um, I can become like I am the head of engineering and product. I can also become a great sales leader or growth leader or marketing leader just by reading Google reading books, et cetera, listening to podcasts potentially. And so that's a lot of the ego that does get involved there and impacts making sound decisions on building like a solid foundation for your business. We started our consulting company to help instead of like one, if you have the awareness of like, I can't do it all myself, then that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. You're probably going to make it further than a lot of startups do, which is, you know, most startups fail anyway. And if you do that, usually after you raise late seed or series A, you're told by kind of your close confidants, you need to go hire a big gun to be your head of revenue or sales. And I'd say the openness to not necessarily doing that and potentially blowing that, which has happened to a lot of companies, is something we're seeing a trend and a shift to. And so I think the really smart founders that might have a technology or engineering background that say, you know what, I understand what I do really well. I also understand what I don't do really well. And I'm going to go find like the best possible resource for us as opposed to what I'm being told to do. And that's actually like the ray of light that I I like in kind of VC backed or funded companies. And a lot more VCs are getting better and smarter too around that in terms of not saying, hey, go spend a bunch of money on this person from Salesforce to be your first VP of sales. Because invariably what we found was on an average of 12 to 18 months, that first time VP of sales ends up leaving. So I think there's a balance. Self-awareness is a big part of it. Like you mentioned, ego check your ego. If you're building a company, know what you know really well, but also know where you have the areas of weakness and, and fill in the gaps with people that you trust, people that you think can come in and they don't have to be in a conventional capacity. You can be kind of on your own terms at your own pace. Yeah. I had one of my friends in the VC space and they make sure to put all their V, all the people that they invest in, in a sales training. Yeah. The thought process was that you're always selling doesn't matter what you're doing. So why not learn how to sell? And I'm sure as a parent, you can appreciate <laughs> you're selling your kids to brush your teeth, even, yeah. you know, go to yeah. bed. I mean, everything you're doing at some point is sales. So if you don't have the ability to connect with other people and to get them to at least get your perspective on why you want them to do something, you're in trouble. Oh yeah, for sure. You bring up a good point too. If there are any like good sales for parents, coaches out there, I'm in the market. Cause, yeah. <laughs> I think we all are, man. Yeah, <laughs> I think we all are. So what have you done throughout your career? You've built some pretty awesome relationships. Are there any tenants that you follow when it comes to first meeting someone, whether it's how quickly you follow up with them? How often do you follow up with them? Is there a cadence to it? What about reaching out on LinkedIn? I mean, I could keep going on and on. Let's maybe unpack a couple at a time here. Yeah, I've been a big supporter of LinkedIn since LinkedIn started. I've been a paying customer of LinkedIn since they offered that paying product. I leverage LinkedIn tremendously. I think it's, I mean, it's definitely the new world version of the Rolodex, the uh, people you know, and you get to have it cataloged by what those people have done as pertains to their profile on on LinkedIn. I think it's a tremendous resource. 
I think it's tremendous because no one should ever feel like, as long as you are, you know, not a hermit and you, you, don't, you don't just sit inside. If you meet people, you should never feel like you don't have someone you can go and find that has an area of expertise that you don't have or you need. LinkedIn is there for you. So I'm giving a plug for LinkedIn and Microsoft. But um, for me, I guess that's been probably since 2006 or 2007. I've been a pretty big diehard LinkedIn user, power user. And that is really just as a parallel to the networking that partakes online and offline in the business world and professional world, people that I've met personally and you know, different settings I've connected with on LinkedIn and learned and found out some interesting stuff about what they do in their professional life as well. So it works both ways. Yeah. Do you have a rule of thumb after you meet somebody, like how quickly you follow up with them? My approach typically has been, it's worked really well. When I meet people, when I connect with people to try to understand where they're coming from, I think this sort of notion of understanding what it's like to be in their shoes a little bit, whether I meet them in person or I'm connecting with them, if they've reached out to me, I'm trying to just take that extra step or time to learn exactly what they're like. We go back, go back to what we talked about the long view. What are they doing? What's their purpose? What are they focused on? And usually I'll try to see if there's someone that I can connect them with that I know. That's just the way Super I think connector. about it. That's just yeah. the way I think about it. I just think well, if I meet someone, I don't think how can I profit or how can I make money off of this person? I think how can I help this person? We took a moment and I got a chance to learn a little bit about them, what they're focused on, what they're maybe their, their current most pressing uh, challenges. And immediately, I usually am able to think of like one or two people off the cuff. And so I usually, my follow-up would usually be making sure that I make that that intro as quickly as I can. I want to get it off my plate. I want to put it out into the world and let that, see if it you know works, if that connection pans out for that person, great. I am a big believer in what you put out is what you get back. Mm-hmm. I'm a huge believer in that. And that might seem a, a bit kind of against the grain when it comes to like building out these companies or divisions that I've run. And we're focused on metrics and kind of what goes into the top of the funnel and how you work that through in terms of your pipeline and how that generates the bottom line of business you close or locations you close and monthly revenue and, and ARR. And But when I think of the world of networking, I don't think of it in terms of metrics. I think of it really connecting, learning, and feeling like at some point I know it'll come back to me. And it has. You touched on some really great points. Was there anyone that kind of showed you the light with that way of thinking? That's a super connector quality attribute that you have when you're saying, hey, the first thing that I do. And and that is a great way to think about things. And very, very few people do that. Something I highly encourage people to do and they don't. And and I don't know if it's because they're lazy. I don't know if it's just something that was just never taught to them. If someone never did anything for them, I'm not exactly sure what that is, but more people need to do that. When did you start doing that? And well, let's go from there. Yeah, that's a good question. I can't recall a specific person or point in my professional career, but I can think back to just growing up with my parents. I think that they were always willing to try to help folks whenever they could. My dad being a career long general contractor, I think just in his nature was to help people with the right answer or the right person, not necessarily with the focus of it trying to generate business for him if a homeowner that he was talking to had some sort of need and it fell outside of his wheelhouse, he wouldn't be trying to get them to work with him. He would connect them to the plumber that might make sense or someone else who might be better suited for what they need. And I think the moment I probably didn't, at the time, I didn't think about that. But in in hindsight, I think that was just the way I thought things were. 
And so translating into like, as I got into my professional career, and I realized there was a world of like, people that stayed in their lane and kind of felt like they just had to kind of keep their head down and do their own thing and not worry about anybody else. And that was just never me. I maybe thought it was, I thought it had to be. I think I thought the professional, my professional career after college had to be that way. I think the cubicle world of you have your one job and you work for your big company and you kind of don't really look out for or care for anybody else other than yourself. I think while experiencing that early on in my career, I realized that I didn't like that. And so I was fortunate to be able to break out of that and find my own path, but largely find my own path based on people that I knew and people that I had helped or people that had helped me. And there's been quite a few over the years that have helped me. And I think about just um, in recent years, my Yelp alums, my Yelp, we call it the Yelp mafia, folks that worked, worked <laughs> like, at Yelp or worked at Yelp, even from you know, from Jeremy Stoppelman, the CEO, who I got to know really well during my time there, and just seeing kind of what he had done in his own kind of network of folks that he'd worked with at PayPal, where he was at prior to founding Yelp, and then the way he engaged with uh, us as employees, and uh, had also did other stuff outside of building and growing and, and kind of running Yelp. A lot of that stuff kind of plays into how I think about my career, how I think about helping, how I think about networking connecting people with people that I might know that could help them with something that they're facing is just though I probably have a problem with taking on too much and not saying no when people are asking for help because I just want to err on the side of being there for someone if they feel compelled to come contact me or meet me because they think that I can help them with something I don't take that for granted I look at that as an honor and I try my best although I do fail and I don't get back to everyone all the time. So I've got things to work on there, but I do try to help people, especially that are trying to connect with me and, or network with me and, and ask me for some, some help for whatever short-term or long-term thing they're facing. Yeah. I mean, that's awesome. That is just a, a really great rendition of how you think about things and what it's done for you. And I didn't know that there was a Yelp mafia, I'm very familiar <laughs> with the PayPal mafia, but so what have some of the other people from Yelp gone on to do? There's a lot of us. I mean, a lot of folks that are in the VC space that are investing in great, B2B or SaaS or tech companies all across the world. There's a lot of folks that are running in leadership roles of head of sales, head of customer success, a number of companies, too many companies that I'm sure people are very familiar with that there's a lot of folks that were at Yelp in the past that are now at these other companies and helping to do their best in terms of making these, these new companies great. One of my probably big, biggest like post Yelp mentors has been the former COO of Yelp. Jeff Doniker. Mm. And Jeff Doniker, along with Rob Krolik, who was the former CFO of Yelp, they're doing some interesting things. And, and actually, they've started a fund that's out in the Bay Area. And so they're actually um, investing, but investing with actual operational experience behind it, that they're helping contribute to their portfolio of companies that they're investing in, taking some of their past experiences at Yelp and, and other companies they've worked for in the expertise of sort of CFO and expertise of COO and, and helping bring that as added value, which I love that model. And Jeff was actually really inspirational when I was kind of trying to figure out with my, my partner how to build out our consulting company. He helped us think about how we could articulate our value proposition and how we could kind of disseminate that out to founders and, and VCs. But there's a lot of Yelp mafia folks doing a lot of great things. And there's actually like a lot of my folks that I was really close with and still know that are at Yelp and have been there for 10, 11, 12 plus years, which is also a testament to the culture and the business that Jeremy is still running. He's still the CEO of Yelp. And they're doing some great things over there, even all these years later. 
That's great. Yeah, especially in the tech world, you don't see, I mean, the average tenure is like two years. Yeah. So for someone to stick around for yeah. that long, that must say something about, I guess, the product, the company, the culture. Yeah. Things like that. Wow. So what are you hoping to accomplish with Seven Shifts? Yeah, I mean, part of me, I equate it to my kind of rocket ship ride at Yelp over eight years. We went from, I was um, approximately employee 80. And when I joined or when I interviewed, it was just a pretty small office in the Bay Area. Uh, in the mission. And then when I joined, we opened up the first New York office and we were growing at such a great, consistent clip, largely by the virtue of the people that we brought on that believed in it. And then we went public and that was an, you know, a, gr- a great experience. It was, um, it felt like it was probably three chapters at Yelp that I was a part of. It was like the early stage. No one knew what Yelp was and it was spelling out when I was on the phone calls or meeting with folks like it's Y-E-L-P to going public Leading up to that, what that felt like, opening up several offices in New York, and then like the post-public feeling, which started to feel a lot more like the corporate years. But it was very successful. And by all accounts, like we as a company had made it for seven shifts. You know, I think about it like I want, obviously, it's a different company focused in a different space in terms of focus on labor management and scheduling. But I think about that journey. I want to help bring what I've experienced at Yelp to us becoming a, a you know, when it comes to restaurants globally becoming a household name or a restaurant name, when it comes to how you run your restaurants, you think first and foremost around your scheduling labor management, you think seven shifts. For me, that's what I, what I'm thinking about when I'm thinking about the true North. Um, what do I hope to help us as a company accomplish? I want every restaurant that could be or should be using a scheduling or labor management or compliance software to be using seven shifts because it's the market leader and it's the go-to and it's what it's the nucleus that you build your build off of to add your point of sale, to add your payroll services to. And you don't open up a restaurant without thinking about seven shifts. Yeah. A lot of restaurateurs don't necessarily have the technical savvy or this isn't something that they, you know, when you're starting a restaurant, they think, oh, I just have to have good food. And they don't realize how important a lot of the operational you know, the importance of the backbone behind thinking about some of these operational things. And I know that that is one of the leading causes to restaurateur failure Yeah, is just some of these things that you've identified. You're absolutely right. I think it's something like 70% of all restaurants are still using pen and paper or Excel spreadsheets for scheduling. So oh, when you think about opportunity, yeah. Yeah. it doesn't come without education. Yeah. So there's a big education piece there and there's a big adoption piece there that has to happen. I think you know, also think about the evolution of technology. I think the restaurant space is definitely one of the laggards in terms of adoption, in terms of embracing technology, in terms of not fearing technology. I think there's a lot of fear or there's a lot of concern around changing the way or ways that things have always been done. And so I think that, you know, our success is definitely hinged to education and adoption and and joining forces with a lot of our partners that are doing yeah. the same thing on the point of sale or you know, payroll side of things, we, we have, uh, I think the most sort of integrated partners uh, of any scheduling or labor management software for that sole purpose, which is to make it easier for these restaurateurs to, if they're going to adopt and they're willing to adopt and utilize technology to solve these problems they have, that they can pick best in breed that works for their restaurant and know that we will work with whatever they decide on the point of sale or on the payroll side of things as well. So you guys are involved in the entire ecosystem of the you know, I guess a life cycle. Life cycle. Yeah. yeah, it's really the life cycle, sort of um, employee life cycle as it pertains to restaurants and sort of how do you sort of hire, onboard, train, retain, 
really good people because that's ultimately like you, you could have the greatest of food and beverage and menu, but if you don't have people that are organized and are sort of taken care of properly that are representing you on the front lines of your restaurant, you'll never have success. So how has this changed uh, how you go into a restaurant and enjoy a meal? Yeah, <laughs> that's a good question. Good question. I think yeah. a lot about it. I, yeah. I think I now have a lot more, I mean, I've always been pretty sensitive to, I think, knowing what it's like to be on the other side of the table, no pun intended, but empathy for people and the roles that they're in and the fact that like, look, I mean, this is their career. This is their livelihood. And, you know, they're trying to make it work like we're all trying to make it work in terms of their life and living their life and the best version of their life. And so when you think about it, you can think about why are they being that way? Or you can think about maybe there's something operationally at the restaurant that's a hindrance to why this server is maybe not being so happy or maybe is, is not, you know, over the moon for you to be sitting down and having dinner there. And on the flip side, it's like you appreciate those people that are going above and beyond as well in sort of their role. And, but you think a lot about like what's behind it in terms of how are they being organized? How is it being handled in terms of like, if they want to take a vacation, you know, if they want to swap shifts with someone, if they want to get someone, their manager's approval to take a day off to go to the doctors, like how does that all work on the other side? And, and oftentimes I ask a lot of questions of the manager, whoever's there about kind of how they're addressing these things, just because I'm curious, but two, also selfishly, it's like seven shifts usually can start to be an answer if they're not thinking about or not utilizing these things. Recently, there was actually a pretty sizable New York kind of mid-market restaurant that I went in and had a meeting with, and they were thinking of transitioning from Excel spreadsheets for scheduling, which is actually shocking to find out. I won't mention their name, but shocking to find out they were using Excel spreadsheets after being in operations for a dozen years, and they were saying this, we feel like we just need to make some improvements in order to like manage and organize our staff better. And we've got staff members working across multiple locations. It's a multi-location business. And if you're using Excel spreadsheet, that becomes awfully cumbersome to try to think that you're ever going to be able to keep that person feeling like they matter, right? Or that they aren't going to just like have their schedule just posted on the wall when they walk in to find out they're working this weekend and it's a Friday. So I think a lot about what it's like to be in their shoes and, and I ask questions just to learn and be curious and not necessarily with the intent of trying to sell them on seven shifts, but in the event that it does come up on occasion, I'll just ask if they've thought of, have you ever thought of not using pen and paper? Have you ever thought of there's other options out there outside of Excel? In general, it's just people like it when, whether it's the business world or personal, professional or personal world, it's like if you show curiosity or interest, true authentic interest in someone's life, they appreciate that. Getting back to the relationships, just that's a great yeah. insight. That's yeah. that genuineness. Yeah. So I want to be cognizant of your time. Let me just ask you a couple of random questions yeah, here. Sounds good. Give me a number between one and 16. 12. Why 12? 12 is actually, it matters to me because, so I have three kids and I mentioned experiences are really important. Experiences now have transcended it between my wife and I with like family experiences. And so Sports is a big part of our lives and our kids play a bunch of sports, you know, skiing, basketball, lacrosse, soccer. And, and they started playing soccer earliest, like to age two and three. My two boys, both their first soccer jerseys were 12. I ironically enough, or that was... Uh, the oldest was 12 first. And then when the younger one was coming up, he wanted to have 12 and it made it easier. We didn't have to buy another jersey. Yeah, that, had, had hand me down. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's like, we think a lot about the numbers that they have and just numbers in general. I think we try to find stories 
as a family. It's always kind of fun, especially with sports. If you got a number or you get assigned a random number, always try to think of like, for me for a while, it would be like, how do you get to like 23 from whatever numbers you're assigned? And that goes back to, you know, as foolish as silly as may be, like big Jordan fan growing up in 23. And my, my house address growing up was 23. My first job out of college in New York was on 23rd Street. So the number 23 was was big. And so if you can't get 23 and you have 12, you try to figure out, yeah. okay, you know, one plus two is three and you got a two in there. And so somewhere there's a 23. So I know for my next question after this, yeah. I'm going to go, I'm not even going to ask you the number. <laughs> We're going to go to number 23. All right. So let's, let's go to the question here. All right. If you had to define one defining moment in your career, what would it be? I would say there's a few, but the one would be when I was at IEC, which I mentioned is... um parent company to Evite, City Search, Ticketmaster, a bunch of other early dot-com companies that I worked for. I was getting recruited from a couple of companies. I was getting recruited from Yelp and I was getting recruited from Funny or Die. And Funny or Die at the time had become a really successful kind of sort of improv comedy video content site that Will Ferrell was backing. Uh, some other comedians were backing and involved in. And there was the really famous video, The Landlord, that was with a baby kind of knocking on the door to collect money. Some of the listeners may might be familiar with that. So I was interviewing with them and I was interviewing with Yelp at the same time. And I was actually really close to accepting a job with Funny or Die. And suffice to say, a few things happened just in late game in both kind of conversations where I turned less interested in Funny or Die. I can't exactly remember why, but I turned more interested in kind of what I was seeing from Yelp. And it's funny to think about what would have happened had I not gone to Yelp and I went to Funny or Die. And so I think that's a really... Yeah, it sounds pretty defining. (laughs) (laughs) All right, number 23. This will be my last question before I let you adjourn for the day. Let me find this 23. Ah, oh, I like this question, actually. Tell me something that you had a viewpoint that changed. So meaning like, you know, and we don't need to get political. Maybe you're a Republican, you've gone Democrat. Maybe you were pro-legalization of cannabis and now you're not or whatever that might be. Has has there been a viewpoint that you've had that changed? And I'd love to know what it was and what caused that to change. Yeah. I would say. Wow. You got one off the top of your head. This is impressive. That's not an easy question. I've got a few here. A Um, few. I've got a few. I'll give one tied to family one, and then I'll tie one to business as well. In terms of like family and having kids and raising kids, I think I thought it had to be a certain way where you kind of had to have a lot of the answers figured out. What I've learned is you're learning as you go a lot, and that's okay. You're trying to adapt as you go. That's okay. You can also learn from your kids. That's really important. I'm still trying to get the hang of that, but I think that's a really important shift in terms of what I maybe thought before having kids, even maybe what I thought when the kids were young or kind of infant stage to now as they become kind of young, getting closer to young adults. So that's one. Business side, I think what I thought in terms of management of people maybe was something very different early on. Again, probably going back to where you kind of had this sort of the cubicle approach to business and that managers kind of had to sort of sit in their ivory tower and kind of tell people what to do and somewhat be resented by their underlings. That was, I think, a lot of what I maybe thought the ranks of management was early on. What I've realized in time and my perspective has changed on is how important it is to be a manager. And and it's so impactful to people, especially as they're just kind of venturing into the professional world to really help instill in them this belief that they can actually accomplish a lot of great things, not only just in the role that they're in or the company that they're in, 
but setting them off on the right trajectory for future success and how critical and important it is as a manager, very similar to what I think about and see as coaches in athletics, same thing. I think it's kind of low barrier to entry because you can probably, anyone can find a job as a manager somewhere. Anyone can find a job as a coach somewhere, but they're not all created equal in terms of how important and inspirational they are to instilling confidence, the belief that you can actually accomplish whatever the role is that you have, do really great things. And you can have this long view, these aspirations and goals that you're working towards that manager, or as I mentioned, that coach is so crucial and critical to that. I didn't know that earlier on. I probably didn't even think about it. I think a lot about that. And I try to apply that to my professional business world, as well as with family, kids, personal life. It's a work in progress at all times, but at least I'm thinking <laughs> about it. So I'm thinking, I'm making a step in the right direction. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so funny that you bring this up. And a conversation I actually just had last night with a close friend of mine, and we were talking about leadership. And he said to me, he goes, and I'm going to completely bastardize this quote, but you'll get the genesis of it. He says, Adam, he goes, he goes, you can, you know, leadership is so important. He goes, so important that a wolf at the front of a pack of dogs will have a wolf pack. And a dog at the pack of wolves will have just a, a pack of dogs. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah. I've botched that, but yeah, I think yeah. you understand the importance Absolutely. of that leadership, that sure. management and, and what that can do. But uh, I, I Preston, great conversation. You've been such a good sport, especially with all the construction that's being <laughs> done around here. I, I apologize like for I those said, that are listening. Locked it out. Yeah. I'm shooting free throws. I, impressive. Still, still work in progress. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> you, there, you didn't, you didn't twitch, <laughs> but uh, no, in all seriousness, thank you for coming in, imparting your wisdom, really good insights. I, there's a lot of valuable takeaways for not just myself, but hopefully everyone that's listening. My pleasure, so, man. Thanks, thanks for having me. You got it, my friend. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Conversations with Connors, a NetworkWise podcast. If you or someone you know is looking for a career change, building a business, seeking to expand sales, or is just generally interested in improving your overall health and happiness, then head on over to NetworkWise.com to gain access to a plethora of resources to help you build your networking skills and community. Those who are ambitious will network. The ones who succeed will network wise. 